0: We're really on a roll. We've got more stories to get to. Happy Halloween week. Here we go.
1: Hi, everybody. Ghost in the Burbs. Um, this is Mary Ann, and I'm from Maryland. Um, I have a weird little story about my son, but first I have to give you a little background. My husband had already owned our home when um, we got married, And so I never really liked it there. It was very dark, um, gloomy, I felt like. You know, the ceilings seemed low. It just, I don't know. I never really liked it. I likened that to the fact that it was pointed north, and so we didn't get a lot of sun. It didn't have a ton of windows, and we did have a lot of trees out back. So kind of hid the sunlight that we could get. Um, But I always get a bad vibe well, my mother would come and visit and she would tell me how much she didn't like the house either and she always felt like there was something there. Maybe, you know, she wouldn't call it demonic, but she always felt like there was something in our home and she never liked it. She told me um, I needed to get it blessed and things like that. Like she really didn't like our home. And I used to have really scary dreams there. So when I was pregnant with my first child, my son, um, the house, well, I shouldn't say the house, my dreams seemed to be affected. And I remember specifically this one dream that involved um, the devil masquerading as a child and oh. not just any child, but my child and he was laying on the pillow looking at me like laying next to me looking at me and he was trying to get me to believe that he was my son and I knew that it wasn't and um you know how you in your dreams you sprint through the house but you can't really run it's like running through mud or you know Kind of trying to swim up through mud It's really awful And I'm trying to turn on the lights And none of the lights will turn on Beyond just like a little dim shadow Or whatever So I had lots of weird dreams like that While I was there And especially when I was pregnant With my first son Well this story Hmm. is about him He um, has autism And when he was little We had gotten Um Infants and toddlers are the people who come out through the school district to help you when your children are very young, to help you with um, PT and OT and speech and things like that.
0: We had that and too. And at the that time,
1: too. he had no pragmatic speech or very little pragmatic speech. He had just learned to say novel sentences, so he wasn't only repeating things he'd already heard before or saying things over and over again. Like, he loved to say, the light is on, the light is on, the light is on. And instead, this time, he he had actually started to use novel sentences. But he had absolutely no imaginary play. And I have to stress that really hard. He had no imaginary play. So, like, infants and toddlers would come out and they would have me try to teach him to play, and so they'd have me put my hand over his on a car, and i try to zoom it around and things Aww. like that, and he would be looking off into space. He had Aww. no interest, and he never did develop an interest in toys. He just didn't have an imagination. He couldn't name things, you know, so like a, a child might get a stuffed um, bear and, you know, name it something really cute, like Mr. Cuddle Fuzzy Bear or something. No, my kid would just be, like, bear, and that would be it. So, um out of the blue one day, he's, I don't know, maybe three years old, two and a half, something like that. I guess he couldn't have been even that old, maybe two, because um his younger brother was not born yet. And so, he has just developed pragmatic speech, and he says to me, um... Mommy, I've been playing in my room. And he probably didn't say it that you know, beautifully, but that was the gist of it, was he'd been playing in his room. <laughs> I said, oh, really? What are you doing? And he said, I'm playing with Evan. He said, Evan? Who's oh. Evan? And he said, my sister, Evan, from heaven, comes and plays oh. with me. Oh. I've never had a miscarriage I never had a previous pregnancy. He had never heard the name Evan. I don't know where this came from. Needless to say, it scared the hell out of me. It scared the hell out of my husband. Um, he later in, we moved, and uh, he would see glowing orbs, orange orbs, um, in his vision at night, Uh, they scared him. I don't know. The child was very scary younger, but Evan in Heaven scared the hell out of me. Thanks, guys.
0: Yeah, um... (laughs) That would have scared me, too, Evan from Heaven. Um, oh, you're bringing back so many memories from when my girls were younger and we'd have those, um you know helpers in for their OT and PT and everything and it's funny I don't know if it's just this batch of stories but I feel as though this isn't the first story where someone with autism is um or maybe I'm reading something else I don't know my brain is a sieve so uh people who are neurodivergent I'm just wondering if perhaps you know parts of their brains are so strong in a different way than what you would think of a typical brain, and I'm wondering if maybe they have more, you know, heightened, better senses for picking up things like this. I don't know, but Evan from Heaven, no, <laughs> I don't like that. Thank you for sharing that story. Hey
2: Liz, so my story is a little bit long and has a couple parts to it. Um, and we've had more experiences than just this, but I'll give a little bit of a backstory. So uh, my partner and I bought his childhood home from his dad uh, quite a few years ago now at this point. But um, so that's just a little bit of a backstory is essentially he's lived in this house since he was like three years old, four years old. Um, he's 40 now. Uh, so you can imagine he's been in this house a very long time, went away to college, came back, bought the house, etc. cetera. Uh, so also a little bit of backstory this is a Sunday night and on Sunday nights he has a uh, dart bar dart league that he that he's part of and so this is a Sunday night he's at darts Um, my daughter and I are home and she I just got done putting her to bed so it's probably like she's probably been asleep for like an hour now so it's like nine nine o'clock and um, he's still at darts and I'm in our bedroom uh, watching Jane the Virgin and having a good time laughing, crying, like, as you do watching Jane the Virgin. If you've <laughs> never seen it, great show. You should watch it. But um, So I'm just laying there, and I'm watching Jane the Virgin, and I hear a man's voice. Oop. And I'm like, oh, okay, Luke's home. Great. Um, and then, I don't know, 30 seconds to 45 seconds later, I hear Alexa respond to that voice.
3: Okay. And I was like,
2: oh, my word. He came home. Had a couple drinks, so he's gonna go wake her up, or maybe he's telling her good night, like whatever. But he's waking her up, so of course I'm like a little annoyed. <laughs> so I get out of the bedroom, and I come out of the, uh, like out of our bedroom. I'm in the hallway, and I see that all the lights are still off. Which I'm like, okay, if he's home, that's kind of weird. And I'm like Luke, and no response. Mm. And I'm like, okay, that's really weird. So you know, keep in mind, I'm the only reason why I'm out of bed is because I heard a man's voice first. And then, after I've registered that I've heard a man's voice, I hear my daughter respond to this voice.
0: Yeah.
2: And so I go in her bedroom, turn on the light, and I look at her bed, and she's not in it. And also during this time, uh, we we're in the process of doing some living room projects, so um, we are finishing up those projects in the next week or so, and then we are going to start decorating for Halloween. So it's the beginning of October, end of September, beginning of October. And um, so some of our Halloween stuff we brought up from our basement storage. And it's kind of just dispersed throughout the house, as is some of our living room furniture. And so in her room, I have literally, like, ten boxes of Halloween decorations, like, stacked in the corner. And um, I look around her room to look for her, and she is standing in the corner behind these Halloween decoration boxes. Now, mind you, they're stacked, like, pretty high. And she's a six-, seven-year-old girl at the time. And so, she would either have to climb over these boxes and or, like, move one to walk behind the boxes and then move it back so Hmm. that it would look like nothing was moved. Like, it looked exactly how it did when I put her to bed. And she is shaking because she's freezing cold. And she's like, Mommy, how did I get here? And I was like, oh, hell no. I have no idea how you got there. And I moved the boxes because I couldn't even pick her up. I had, like... Yeah, I couldn't pick her up, so I had to move the boxes. I got her, I took her to the bedroom, and I was like, oh my gosh, like that is the scariest thing. I called Luke right away, and he's like, I'm on my way. You, you know, you're probably just hearing things, whatever. Like, yeah, of course I'm hearing things, duh. Um, so he gets home finally, and we're all safe and great and what have you. In the morning, we were talking uh, while we're getting ready for school and eating breakfast and stuff. And Alexa mentioned something, that's my daughter, and she mentioned something along the lines of, uh, well, I saw you standing in my doorway last night when I went to bed, and I wasn't standing in her doorway because I was, like, I put her to bed and literally went to, like, clean up the kitchen and clean up the living room and all that stuff, and then I went to my own room. And in that moment, Luke's eyes get really wide, and he said when he was living in this (laughs) In this house, as a young boy, him and his brother shared a room, and they had uh, bunk beds. They would see their mom standing in the doorway all the time. And they would bring this up to her, and she'd be like, no, I wasn't standing in the doorway. And so it's just kind of (laughs) strange that they're having the same exact experience, even though nobody's standing there. And he also says that he oftentimes sees, like, when he's in the living room watching TV, he'll see somebody or something uh, walk past this doorway... Um, uh, oh. from like the master bedroom to the living room, and so we're oh. thinking maybe the house has an imp- like impressions where it's yeah. like spirits, uh, that like are just the house picks up on movements that that has happened so many times. Yeah. So um, we're the third owners now of this house, and so there's been three families that have had moms looking into this bedroom and yeah. checking in on their babies, and then also. Uh, you know, people walking from the bedroom to the kitchen or the bedroom to the bathroom, and we're just seeing these, like, impressions that are on the house. I'm not mm-hmm. really sure. We don't really feel anything negative towards these. Um, not, since then, my daughter's now 14, so it's been, like, you know, six or seven years. Uh, I've, I've experienced the same thing. I've seen things out of the corner of my eye. Um, nothing feels, like, ominous or anything like that, um, except for the initial... initial <laughs> ...out um, <laughs> because... <laughs> There was a man talking to my daughter in her sleep, and I know I heard that. It wasn't the movie, or it wasn't the show. Uh, I know I heard that. And so, yeah, like you said, kids are the worst, and they experience (laughs) lots of things. And, um, yeah, now she slept in my bed for, like, a year. At that point, she was so scared to go back in her room, and I honestly don't blame
0: her. (laughs) No, I wouldn't want to go back into that room either. But, yeah, that makes perfect sense that there are these, like, Impressions, those like residual hauntings that just are like little tapes that replay and replay. I mean, it's still, it sounds totally harmless, but it would still freak me out. <laughs> Thank you for sharing.
4: Thought of another story. <laughs> this one happened 19 years ago. Um, so my mamma her son passed away when he was 26. Uh, that's just a side note. Her, his son was living with her for a while. He li he was from Georgia. Well, he was into black magic and all kinds of different things. I mean, when I was little, mm-hmm. you know, I saw him bite the head off of a chicken. I mean, it was crazy stuff. I apologize for sensitive viewers. If you need to edit that out, I'm not 100% not promoting
0: mm-hmm. animal
4: abuse. This was just something I witnessed. Okay. Yeah. My dad was a deacon of a church. He had no idea that my mom had me around all this stuff. Mm. So he came to live with my mom for a while. He was into all this stuff. And he was going to go back to Georgia to visit his mom. And my mom said to him, Mike, if you go, I'll never see you you again. And he said, Mama, I'll be back. Well, Sure enough, he was killed on the way down there in a car accident. Oh, no. But all his stuff was left behind. Now, my other uncle... He was an addict, alcoholic, and not the nicest person, but he still had access to all these books and black magic things that Mike left. Hmm. So I guess he took it over. And and please, uh, forgive me for anyone who's, you know, um I'm trying I'm not trying to offend anybody. I just this is just my experience, okay? Uh, sure. and my experience with this stuff is not good. So sure, sure. My momma lived in an old coal camp house in Kentucky. The There's two front doors and two staircases because back then, when the coal industry owned the houses, they put two families in it. Mm. Well, my papa was fortunate enough to buy both sides of the house, so it's literally just two staircases side by side, connected with a wall, and then they meet up at the top and the where the bedrooms are. Well, my uncle wouldn't allow anybody to go up those stairs. He kept baby powder on one side to see footsteps if anybody went up there. And on the other side, he kept, you know, like uh, toilet paper, paper towels, things like that. So we just went around that stuff. And so we wouldn't leave footprints. Well, excuse me. I was, it was 19 years ago, I was young, thought I was brave. So I talked to my mom and said, Let's go see what he's hiding because he was gone. He wasn't supposed to be back for, oh, I don't know, a couple weeks. And so I got my mom to go up there because, well, for one thing, I was nosy and I wanted to see what he's hiding. And, you know, at this point, older and wiser, for all I knew, it was a math lab. But back then, I just knew it was something good. No, and now he wasn't there was no math lab there, but I'm just saying for all I knew it could have been and I also want to see the room that my mom grew up in and just I just wanted to see the upstairs in my mama's house so we go up there and my mamma was telling us we shouldn't go and uh, Of course we didn't listen so we go up and we're up there maybe a minute and just looking around and I opened up, Mom said, there's where I used to keep my clothes. It was an old wardrobe, and I opened it up, and mm-hmm. the most evil, growly, whispery voice you can imagine says, get out. Oh, boy. And my mom and I heard it both at the same time. We both heard, get out, at the same time, in the, in the most evil voice you could ever imagine. And we looked at each other, and I grabbed her hand, and we hightailed it down those stairs. We ran down those stairs as fast as we could out of that house into the road oh. and to this day I have never been back in that house okay. I'd come see my mamaw but I wouldn't go back in the house so she comes outside what's wrong what's wrong and I told we told her what happened she said I know there's something in this house why do you think we sleep in the day and not the night there's people there's footsteps going up and down those stairs all night long oh. she said there's, there's something evil in this house I know there is so anyway she went upstairs and she kept saying did you leave your fingerprints on anything did you leave your fingerprints well, my mom called my aunt to let her know what happened. My aunt said, don't be surprised if something gets after Jesse in the next, in a little bit. A couple of weeks later, I ended up in the hospital with yeah. some medical issues for about three weeks. But thankfully, survived it and all as well. But, uh, yeah, it was a crazy time. I slept with the light on for oh, a good two weeks after that. I was scared to death. Actually, I slept with my mom as an adult. I was uh, about 21 at this time in her bed with the light on, I was petrified, and so my stepdad goes to the Catholic Church and gets me some uh, rosaries that are blessed, which I was so thankful for, and I used, Um, but you know, I didn't really know how to use it, I wasn't raised Catholic, but I was so thankful for them, and I, you know, took all the prayers and whatever I could get, and uh, but anyway, I really hope I haven't offended anybody with this. I'm not no, trying to offend, so. uh, you know, animal lovers, Catholics, people who do black magic. Uh, this was just my story, and I uh, am just remembered it and thought that I would share it because it was terrifying. It's still yeah. terrifying, and I, I did go, still go see my mama, but I just wouldn't go in the house. Uh, anyway, so that's the story that I remembered, and if I remember any more, I'll call back. Thank you.
0: Wow. That's that's scary. So they are just living with living there, dealing with the fact that there's something really frightening in that house. I wouldn't have gone back in either. I can completely understand that. <laughs> Thank you. Sorry for all the yelling and screaming. Looks like I need to take a little break and I'll be back in a minute when everybody settles down. Okay. It's a little quieter around here, so let's do another one.
5: Okay, Liz, hopefully you can edit. I accidentally submitted the last one before I had finished. Forgive me. Here we go again. Okay. In the months before I moved to Wellesley, I was really nervous. Okay. I knew the reputation the town had, and I knew without a shadow of a doubt that I didn't match it. Despite having gone to college there in a different millennia, my college bubble had only shown distant and distortedly shimmering views of the town itself. Now, I was a fully-fledged adult, at least on paper. I had a husband and a toddler. My husband Daniel and I had met in Florida after graduation. And after years of moving to follow advanced degrees and job opportunities, he landed his dream job at my alma mater. Ooh, faculty housing was the only possible way we could begin to afford Wellesley. I had managed to keep an active career despite all the moving, but alas, I was drawn to jobs that nourished my spirit, and I hoped the community more than our bank accounts. But that had to change when our son Maxwell was born prematurely. People often describe their children's infancy as a foggy haze, but I remember much of Max's time in the NICU and the subsequent months of isolation and strict quarantine at home with extreme clarity. Many people assume that a preemie's challenges end once they're released from the hospital, Mm. but I traded wires and sensors for weighed feedings, problems latching, GERD, milk protein intolerance, brachycephaly, and Mm. literally no sleep. Later, I'd trade my hours upon hours of internet research on infant sleep dysfunction for early intervention resources on developmental delays, IEPs, FAPE, FERPA, and the rest of the alphabet soup that comes Mm. with advocating for the best education your awesome kid can get. But back then, on the precipice of moving to Wellesley, I felt trepidation. I'd been working part-time from home, But most of my time was devoted to caring for Max, who, even at almost a year and a half, had never slept through the night. I wondered how in the world I'd find anyone in town I could relate to. Hmm. But I reminded myself that I had survived much, much harder things than not having the Lululemon pedicured life that seemed requisite for Wellesley Moms. Seven years, with one and a half of those years being pandemic years... And so more like 57 years later, I'm happy to say that I've found my people. I'm even less the Wellesley stereotype I was then, (laughs) dark roots and pandemic weight. Thank you very much. But I'm not self-conscious about it. Some of it is mellowing with age, having bigger fish to fry and so on. But some of it was finding Liz's blog and podcast. At first, I couldn't believe someone from our town had a podcast. I even checked Mm -hmm. the bulletin boards at the library to see if I could find the notices she said she'd put up. I never found them, so I decided that the blog was just a, a masterful blend of scary stories with enough real detail to make people question. I kept listening, enjoying the social commentary on consumer culture and keeping an ear out at preschool to catch Liz's name. I made a game out of trying to guess which houses or neighborhoods were redacted in the text in brackets. (laughs) It was all good fun. A cozy thrill, as Liz likes to say. But that was before the voices.
0: Wait, 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 wait. That's it. That, did it get cut off? Oh, no. Oh, God, call back in. Um, and where are you? Where are you here? I want to meet you. Please call back in. Please. Shit. This is what I'm talking about with this system. Darn it all. Well, that was awesome to listen to to begin with. We have a lot in common. All that NICU stuff and all the early intervention stuff brings me way back. So I hope everything's going smoothly for you now. Oh, on to our next story.
6: Hi, Liz. I tried this once before, but I'm going to try it again just in case it didn't go through. Okay. Uh, My name is Brooke, and I grew up in a house that could easily be considered haunted. And I have a handful of stories to share with you. I think it started mostly when my mom brought my brother home from the hospital, which wasn't too long after we moved in. Her dad passed away a little over a year before, and when she came home, she thought something along the lines of, I wish my dad were here to meet him and when she went to go and turn on the light at the bottom of our main floor stairs the light burst which was weird because she had just changed it um like a couple weeks before a few years later we were all eating at the table and that same brother was in his high chair and again never having met our grandpa who we call papa pointed to the corner and said look it's papa hi papa don't Uh you see him oh and we did not um because he was dead So, my mom was married at the time, and she and my former stepdad got divorced, but before that, she recalls being woken up in the middle of the night to a loud, deep voice shouting, Get out! Now, looking back, she isn't sure if it meant get out of the house or get out of the marriage, but we didn't leave the house, and I don't think she ever heard the voice again. Um... This next thing we call closet peekers, and it's probably oh, a bit no. of a misnomer because oh. they were more apt to look around corners than out of closets, oh, but still, um, it's what we called them. So, I also wanted to note that I just brought this up to my mom, who I got hooked on the podcast, <laughs> and she doesn't recall this happening, but I remember her telling me, so I'm keeping it in, because uh, it scared the shit out of me. <laughs> so, I'm one of five kids at my mom's house. I have two half-siblings and two step-siblings, and it was rare that any of us were gone at the at our other parents' or our grandparents' house um, on the same weekends. Mm. But one weekend, we were all magically gone, and um, my mom had the house to herself almost, while my stepdad, who I'll be calling dad from this point on, went to work overnights. Um, my mom stayed up watching TV in the living room, then would usually go to her bedroom and switch over, finish off whatever sci-fi hgtv or travel channel show she was watching before knowing she was home alone she was really startled to hear her bedroom door creak open and even more startled to see a very small figure quote looking in um she gasped and slowly moved it it slowly moved its head from the doorway and closed the door so it was on the other side of the door it didn't enter the room just to clarify Um, so Uh. she didn't think that it was anything supernatural or paranormal. Um, she thought along something along the lines of, oh God, did one of the kids not leave or did they come home early? And I just didn't know. Um, we weren't old, old enough to drive yet. I'm the oldest. So at that point, our ages ranged from maybe 15 years old to nine years old. Okay. And we couldn't have made it home on our own easily. She's fearless and a badass and was (laughs) probably ready to put up a good fight if there was an intruder. But after searching the house from top to bottom, closets, crawl spaces, and attic, there was no one to be found. There aren't a lot of stories where the closet peekers are the star of the show. Um, They're often child-sized shadows that just kind of peek around corners. So my mom actually did just tell me a story that I had never heard regarding a time when again we were all out of the house, and her computer, which they almost never used and was not accessible to us kids, it was just for the just for our parents, um, it booted on while she was watching T V and while Dad was sleeping. And in the same breath she said that a lot of times when she knew no one was home, either during the day, while we were at school, or on those rare weekends, she would hear footsteps upstairs, doors slamming and occasionally she would hear things sound like shelves just broke and everything on them crashed down so she would run to see what the damage was and when she got upstairs um there would be nothing on the ground you're missing from the walls um no reason to uh-huh. have heard the crashing that she had previously heard mm-hmm. um this next one we don't really know what it was it could have been a closet peeker it could have been something else. Uh, my brother, not to be confused with the brother at the beginning of the story, or my story, um, like many kids, wasn't known for keeping his room sparklingly clean and had papers and wrappers and other treasures under his bed. Now, one day while playing video games, he heard something crunching from underneath of his bed. <laughs> and he said it wasn't like a vent turned on. Crunching. And it was like blowing papers around. He said it was more like something was sitting there. Someone was sitting there, intentionally crunching what I personally imagined to be an empty Doritos bag. Oh. oh, oh. My mom checked in on him later that day and asked him if he was feeling okay because he was vigorously cleaning his room. He told her what he experienced and she believed him. Not just because we believe in the paranormal, but also because nothing earthly could get him to clean his room. (laughs) Fast forward a handful of years when he moved out and mom was taking up the carpet to redo the hardwood floors, turning his old room into the sewing room of her dreams. She went to Home Depot and rented what was described as the best sander you could use for those floors and brought it home. And this thing apparently was supposed to move flawlessly with incredible ease. And it did. Hmm. Until it came into proximity with the spot that where his bed used to be. And then it pulled and she said it was, like, being yanked away from her. Oh. Um, it pulled over to the spot where his bed used to be, where he was sitting, when he heard the noise from underneath of his bed. Huh. Um, in our house, at some point, the front door basically just became for decoration, and we only used the side door. Mm-hmm. So one summer, we were playing outside, and I came in the side door. So in order for me to like make make this make sense (laughs) when you come in the side door you can either go all the way downstairs or you turn to the left and there's a set of three stairs going up to the main floor so I ran in to go and get something and um I nearly fell backwards down the three steps because when I turned from the foyer I saw a man in a top hat standing at our Hmm. dining room table I gasped I blinked and he was gone um Hmm. Rounding up all of the kids to get in the car and go anywhere was always a massive task because there were so many of us. Um my mom would call upstairs a handful of times, "Come on guys, let's go." Within a half an hour countdown of when it was time for us to actually be leaving. <sighs> um So usually the call upstairs was was the last last roundup. Um she was in the kitchen with my dad just about to leave and lock up when she heard one more of us running down the stairs and caught a glimpse of one of my sisters running out the front door. She looked at my dad and said, I thought she was already in the car. And my dad said, she is already in the car. My mom asked, who was that? And she still doesn't have an answer. Mm. This is my final story now. Um, This house had Mm -mm. such a strange but wonderful variety of art my mom refurbished old furniture and quote shabby chic it. Mm. while my dad was very talented is very talented in rat paintings um one of which was a whole mural on our garage door and metal art
0: like the spider web
6: gate he built and welded for our backyard um one small piece of art they picked up at a street fair was this cute dog made of metal And I must disclose for the main part of this story that it was definitely a male presenting dog. (laughs) Um, It sat sideways facing the wall opposite where I sat in this event um, on a home interiors brand shelf in our living room. One weekend, my mom and I were sitting in the living room with my mom on the couch located below the shelf and me sitting on a smaller couch perpendicular to her we were watching what I can only imagine to be the original Ghost Hunters or Scariest Mm. Places on Earth when we were, you know, just chatting. And while we were chatting, I heard the dog's metal paws scrape the top of the shelf as it moved forward. So we stopped talking, and my eyes were as big as saucers, and my mom's face drained of all color. Um, I saw it move, like, out of my peripheral and we could see in the dust that it was about a quarter to a half an inch from the front of the shelf than it was before. Mm-hmm. And we would have been able to easily dismiss this if we hadn't seen the male presenting dog's metal balls swinging. Anyway, um, I hope one or all of these stories were good or entertaining enough. Yeah. I swear on everything that they are 100% true to my knowledge and experience. Um, while my family believes in spirits, they aren't really the type to make up, you know, anything just for some, some bullshit story. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you so much for everything you do with Ghosts in the Burbs. It is one of my favorite shows ever. Um, I've listened to it probably five, six, seven times at this point with the exception of The Dark Thing, which I listened to probably 20 times. Oh, wow. Um, I love the podcast. Anyway, keep it up. Bye.
0: Wow. Thank you. Um, the term, uh, what did you say? Closet peekers. That will, that will haunt me. (laughs) That is a lot of stories for one house, one family. Um, and, oh, closet peekers. I don't like it. Spooky stuff, stuff moving, all of it. Thank you for sharing that. Really creepy. Okay, I've checked the transcription on this one, and it looks like, as far as I can tell, because the transcription isn't great, it might stop a little early, but I think we're able to get the gist of the story. So let's listen.
3: Hi, Liz. I love your podcast and all your writing, and I'm really glad I get to tell you this ghost story. My name is Marjorie, and I live in Virginia, and I want to tell you about a historical place here in Northern Virginia called Gadsby's Tavern. The tavern opened in 1785 in Alexandria, Virginia, near the Potomac River, and it was a bustling place that comes along with being a port town, um, and it's been a museum since the 1970s. Oh. I am also a Girl Scout leader of 12 years, and about six years ago, my troop had the opportunity to do a sleepover event at Gadsby's Tavern. It was really well run, and the girls had a blast. After the evening festivities, all of us settled down on the floor of the ballroom, which is where we were sleeping, with our sleeping bags. And the very last activity was the program leader telling everyone a ghost story about the ghost of a female traveler who had died at the tavern in the early 1800s. Of course. Great idea, I thought. Tell (laughs) the 14 girls a ghost story before lights out. I was really only half listening while I came up with strategies for handling my troop when they couldn't fall asleep. Surprisingly, when lights out happened, my Girl Scouts settled down pretty nicely, and everyone seemed to fall asleep quickly on the hardwood floors, including me. That is until about 3 a.m. when I was awakened by a hand on my shoulder, a presence leaning over me and a uh-huh. woman's voice in my ear that whispered, it's okay. Oh. And then suddenly the presence was gone. I sat straight up and looked all around the huge ballroom in the light. There was dim light coming in from the doors. There was no one there except uh-huh. sleeping people all lying down. My heart was pounding. I laid back down and waited for that woman to come back. I never fell back asleep. When I got home the next day, I somehow resisted the urge to tell the girls what had happened, but I looked up more about the ghost. She was known only as the female stranger. In fact, that is what's inscribed on her tombstone just down the road from the tavern.
0: Ah.
3: I didn't feel like she was a negative presence. In fact, she was kind of reassuring when she told me it was okay. Then I realized the date. It was June 3rd, 20 years to the day that my best friend had died. Mm. Since that event happened, I have come to realize that it was either my friend or someone on her behalf, letting me know that she was in fact, okay.
0: Hmm. That's pretty amazing. And sad. Um, and creepy. (laughs) I don't want to hear that sleeping over in a tavern on a Girl Scout night. (laughs) Thank you for sharing. Let's do one more. Let's listen to one more. And let's see. And then I think we're going to have enough for one more full episode. So let's do this one. We'll save the rest for next time.
7: Hello Liz Sauer and podcast listeners. My name is MK. I have a couple of stories or experiences that I would say are spooky or at least strange but also sad. This one I'd like to share, we'll call it Ghosts in the Workplace. Um, I oh. had a job for about a year working um, for a library that was actually um, both an old um, Carnegie Library But um, also sits, its foundation sits on top of um, an area that was part of the original area zone for the Gold Rush. So I actually worked with the local and regional history program, and the building itself sat on top of a lot of history. Um, There was a lot of stories that different people told me about ghosts in the building. Um, Supposedly it had multiple ghosts. But uh-huh. the department that I worked with, they thought that they had their own departmental ghost. Um, oh. They had a name for the ghost, which um, I will say is text in brackets. Um, <laughs> they definitely thought that it was awesome. a man. They thought maybe it was somebody who had either been a regular or somebody who had um, worked there. And some of the things that you know, I got told when I first started um, that had happened to people... Was um, you know sometimes they would get like rattling and banging noises. They had shelving um, there that was metallic, and like shelvers would have the shelves would start banging or rattling when they were putting books hmm. away. They would have the usual of you know books disappear. Um, they look for it all over all over the place, and then it reappears back where it's supposed to be. Um, they had um, a climate-controlled vault in the back for the rare and historic materials collection. They would hear banging and noises from there that, you know, they said weren't the pipes. Um, There was one corner um, in that area that they said no matter what the temperature was in the building, like if it was the winter and the heat was on, or if it was summertime and the weather was really hot, it always stayed cold. Um, One person who worked there supposedly on her lunch break had gone and bought like a pint of ice cream and put it in the corner and it didn't melt. Um, Another thing which, you know, they said would happen is you would come in in the morning and they had an area of um, shelving that was cabinets that had um, glass doors that you would open and close Mm -hmm. to get the books in, um, to shelve them and then to take them out. And they didn't have uh, a latch or a lock. The doors closed. They had magnetic strips like, for example, sometimes we would come in in the morning and you would have these doors would be open. And I think one time mm-hmm. I made the comment to somebody like, well, somebody was in here and they forgot to close the doors on the shelving. And they were like, oh, no, that's text in brackets. Like, sometimes we think um, during the evening when he's here by himself, he opens up those um, doors and looks at the books. So, you know, it was a fun thing that people talked about. Um, you know, we made jokes about it, mm-hmm. and the area that I was in, it was the, originally the reference section for the original Carnegie Library, and then they had, you know, um, a preservation project, and then they had added on. So, um, mm-hmm. it was now the Special Collections and Local History Department. And we had an area in the back that was for staff, um, our work area that was behind the reference desk. And there was like, you know, a partition or a wall. Um, it wasn't cubicle material. It was much more substantial than that. Um, and we had doors, that mm. we had shutters. Um, we had no ceiling over it, so you know we could hear what was going on in the public area in the reference desk. And we also um, had shutters on the doors. The doors had glass windows, so you could always open it up if you needed to see what was going on in the public area. Um, and I never interacted with the public at that, Job. So there was one evening in particular, I had something I wanted to finish before um, I left for the night and this was after about six months and I'd have plenty of times where maybe I was there by myself sometimes um, all day or I was the first person in or the last person out. So I'm sitting at my desk and I'm trying to finish up this one thing and then I'm you know going to basically shut down my computer, lock up and go home for the evening And I start to hear this noise out in the public area. And it's soft at first, and then it gets, like, louder and more forceful. The only way I can describe it is, you know, if somebody gets their money eaten by a vending machine and they don't get, you know, whatever they're buying from the vending machine and they start banging on it or start shaking the vending machine, it sounded like that. And it got louder and it got more frantic. And I'm sitting there at my computer back in... uh, Oh, man. the employee work area and so you know funny. I have no idea because the shutters are closed on the door that I'm sitting by and I'm like do I open the shutters do I open the door and it was like no I don't <laughs> want to see whatever's going on uh-uh. so I finished what I was doing um and it probably lasted for about I would say five minutes at the most and <sighs> you know I kind of sat there and like my heart was pounding in my chest you know if my co-workers hadn't told me all these other stories. I don't know how I would have reacted. I might have just thought it was weird and got up and opened the door, and who knows what I would have seen. But um, okay. anyway, it stopped. I finished what I was doing. I got everything, my belongings, and went to the door, opened it very, very slowly, and two oh. of the book cabinet doors were completely wide open. And at that point, I just said, hey, text in brackets, um, I'm finishing up, I'm going for the night, you're going to be <laughs> the only person here, um, you're in charge, just, you know, if you want to take a look at, like, any books or whatever, just make sure, you know, Aww. you put them back where you found it. And I got out of there as quickly as I could. Um, the next morning, when I told my coworkers, um, you know, the reaction, they were all like, oh, my God. And, you know, a couple of people were like, well, maybe, you know, like the street that we faced is a pretty busy street. And so a couple of people were like, you know, maybe like a truck or like there was a bus line that went by that we could hear the bus, on, oh, you know, okay. pretty regularly every hour. And so they're like, maybe, you know, the bus went by or like a truck went by and the vibrations were strong enough yeah. that, you know, that rattled the doors open. And it was like, well, yeah, maybe. But, you know, maybe. if that's the case, why hasn't that ever happened before? The woman who was my supervisor, um, who is very much a true believer, she kind of half-jokingly said, you know, I've worked here for 20 years. I'm his biggest advocate, and he's never shown himself to me. You've worked here for six months, and he decides to show off for you. Um, That was pretty much the extent of, like, weird experiences I had there. Um, The sad part, and some people might want to ahead because um there's a little bit about um, violence in the workplace you okay. know after I left I thought about it and that particular library had um, an incident years before I worked there but several people I worked with um had been in employees there when it happened where um a patron came in and they don't know what prompted it but he um brought it a gun he shot and killed two of the librarians on the oh floor that our department was on God. and he ended up getting killed by the police um oh. and it's obviously like a very sad and traumatic um horrible yeah. thing yeah. that happened there um and so part of me wonders if you know the conversations that people who worked there had with each other and had with me where they would talk about these different um ghosts that they thought that were in the building, if maybe that was partly a way for them, that they couldn't directly, I only have one conversation ever once with somebody about this particular incident. And so part of me thinks maybe, you know, it was a fun thing and, you know, weird things happen, like I had a weird experience, but maybe it was also a way for people there to kind of share their feelings um, in an indirect and safe way um, Mm -hmm. about something that had affected you know, this place that they spent so much of their lives in and that had affected, you know, people who they knew and spent a lot of, a lot of time with on a daily basis. So, yeah. I don't know. I've heard, you know, I've seen, like, other things printed um, in the local news since then about that particular um, ghost story. But that's my own, and I don't speak on behalf of that particular library. That's just my my own interpretation is some of that maybe a safe way for people who work there to talk about things that are really, you know, complicated and yeah. sad that they're never going to get answers on.
0: Wow, yeah, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and that is sad. Um, so I don't want to seem insensitive because going back before we learned about the shooting, um, there's nothing like a haunted library... I feel as though libraries are just meant to be haunted. Um, so that's horrible that such a terrible thing happened there. Um, but thank you so much for sharing that. That's a really interesting story. Shh, Bernie, let's go ahead and stop there. Thank you to everyone of you who told us stories today. That was really spooky and helps to get us in this wonderful October week mood. So we'll see you soon right back here.